0: What's up, Fight Fans? It is that time once again, The Neutral Corner, episode 144. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. And before we get started with the news and notes, and we got a lot of stuff to cover, man, just a lot of news coming up in uh, you know the third quarter and then the fourth quarter of this year, man. We got a lot of stuff to look forward to. Before we get into all that, of course, I want to remind you guys to get over to Patreon if you can and contribute to Montero Unboxing, if you just want to tip the show, tip the channel, what we're trying to do here, I'd appreciate it. Of course, Apple Podcast, Find us. Leave a review. Leave a rating. Same goes for Stitcher, SoundCloud, and of course, YouTube. you got social media, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook. We're all there. Instagram. Find us. Follow us. Question for you guys. Now, normally I have a fee for the neutral corner. This week's fee is actually a question. We have the Jacobs, Derevyanchenko fight coming up this Saturday on HBO. I don't know about you guys, but I think the HBO commentary is freaking horrible. I think Max Kellerman, Roy Jones, he has his moments, but sometimes he's god-awful. Jim Lampley cries when watch watches Subaru commercials on TV and shit, that dude cries when the wind blows. I have an idea. You guys remember for the Canelo Golovkin 2 replay, I did a live video and just kind of commented on the fight live and did some live QA. Tried to answer as many questions as I, as I could on the live chat during the fight, but then I answered a bunch of them after the fight. That was a lot of fun, man. I was thinking about doing that this Saturday for Jacobs derevianchenko except it's not a replay. It's a live fight. So I'm thinking, you know what? The HBO commentary sucks so bad. Why don't I just call the damn fight live? And we'll watch it together. You guys can turn on HBO with me. You can turn on the damn mute button, turn up YouTube volume, listen to me rant about the fight live, and then we can chat about it live as it's happening. If you guys would like to see that, let me know. And we'll make that happen this Saturday night. If we do make that happen, if you do want to see it, please tell your boxing people. Okay, get it out there on your Twitter, your Facebook, your blog, whatever it is, please get the word out there. I will get everything set up and I'll get a link out there within the next 48 hours so we can start promoting that so we can get as many people as possible tuning in live. Okay, so if you want to see... <clears throat> live Montero Unboxing Fight Party for Jacobs Derevyanchenko. We'll call the fights live. We'll chat about it. We'll chop it up right there as it's happening live. And we can get rid of Jim Lampley, Cut, and Roy Jones Jr. Or maybe it's Andre Ward this time. I don't freaking know. But we can just get rid of those guys. We won't have to listen to them. Let me know what you guys think about that, okay? News and notes. So last week I talked about some rating stuff here in the United States and abroad. Want to double down on that and talk about Crawford Benavides. So I talked about last week, the Nielsen rating media share crap. Now we've got actual numbers and this stuff just translates to, you know, it's easier to understand because it's just raw numbers over 2.2 million average viewers. Guys, that's a big deal. That's a big, big deal. I'm not saying it was earth-shattering type numbers, but remember Pacquiao-Horn? And that was the biggest rated fight on network television or off-premium cable in years. It was the highest rated broadcast for this top rank on ESPN deal. That was about 2.8 million, I believe, the average. So Crawford Benavidez, nowhere near the star power of Manny Pacquiao, to do 2.2 plus million viewers. That's average, that's not peak. And you're going up against the World Series and everything else, college football, that's pretty impressive. Now I understand ESPN is in 86 million homes. HBO and Showtime combined are in 56 million. So the potential at ESPN is massive. And Bob Arum recently in an interview compared the ESPN deal to DAZN and talked about how ESPN has, you got the app, ESPN Plus, and then you actually have the network and all the offshoot network, ESPN Deportes, ESPN 2, 3, 4, 5, 8 billion, right? So he said that that gives their deal, top rank with ESPN, an advantage over Matchroom and Golden Boy going to Zone. I do agree. With that in principle, I think over at the Zone, there's a lot more freedom in terms of dates, because ESPN you're still competing at the end of the day with other sports programming. That's all ESPN does. And of course, the Zone does that as well, but you have a lot more options when it comes to actual dates over there. But 86 million homes here in the United States, so there's a lot of potential. So. 2.2 million out of 86 million. That doesn't sound like a lot. But when you look at some of the other highest rated uh, programming that day, particularly other sports programming, college football and stuff like that, Crawford Benavides was not that far behind. So that is a very, very good rating from Terence Crawford. It shows that he is really building into a brand and not just in Omaha, where he does you know, multiple sellouts now at venues there at home. But that's good ratings man particularly when you're going up against so many other sports in very very popular sports it's not like he was going up against underwater basket weaving or jv woman's you know junior college volleyball or some shit. he was going up against the world series and college football damn good rating speaking of the zone of course you guys if you follow my channel you already saw the rant video i did about this but the Zone just picked up Canelo Fielding December 15th, and that will be for free. You don't have to pay for it, so you can watch that fight for free on Dazone. But multi-fight agreement with Canelo Alvarez, the biggest star in the sport. When you're talking globally, when you're talking dollars, when you're talking TV ratings, there is no bigger star in the sport than Canelo Alvarez. And the Zone has picked up 10 fights, Five years, three hundred and sixty-five million dollar guarantee, and then you include uh, Canelo Fielding in that. So what? It's eleven fights. I think it all breaks down to like thirty-three million dollars a fight, which is just a little bit more than the guarantee Floyd Mayweather had with CBS slash Showtime in their historic deal. So of course Mayweather was a little butt hurt by that and did some troll some troll posting. Uh, this week, bashing Canelo for when they fought, bashing De La Hoya because obviously Golden Boy Promotions, De La Hoya, they promote Canelo. So, uh, you know, of course there's that back and forth. And honestly, do I really give a shit who, makes, who has the biggest deal in sports history, the biggest deal in boxing history? I don't give a damn. But this deal with DAZN is substantial. It means that DAZN's investment in boxing is no freaking joke now there are people out there comparing the matchroom and golden boy deals with the zone to similarly to what uh, al Heyman did with pbc and of course they did the same thing with bob arum and his deal with espn you know top ranks deal with espn much different than what the pbc did up front guys the pbc did time buys And they were not on one platform. They were on multiple platforms all over the place. There was absolutely no rhyme or reason to any of it. Now, Matchroom, Eddie Hearn, there's Matchroom USA and then Matchroom back in the UK. Those domestic cards over in the United Kingdom, those are on pay-per-view a lot of time. They're premium cable over there in the UK. But here in the States, those are on zone. So whether it's a matchroom card in America or in the UK, you're getting it on DAZN. It's on one platform. And he's being paid to put fights on there, to put fight cards on there. It's the same thing with this Golden Boy deal. Um, they're going to do, I believe, uh, about a dozen cards a year. Golden Boy is. And then, of course, you got the Canelo cards. As far as I understand it, these 10 fights are not pay-per-view let me repeat that not pay-per-view now that doesn't mean and i'm completely speculating here guys i have no basis to say this other than me just knowing the boxing business and how this thing works but that doesn't mean at some point that in between these 10 fights you know there might not be a pay-per-view maybe there will be a pay-per-view somewhere for canelo in this mix But over the next five years, you're going to get 10 Canelo fights, win, lose, or draw, on the zone, $10 a month, on top of everything else you get. To me, that is a substantial, groundbreaking, just game change in the sport. And it is not the end of the pay-per-view model because Bob Arum is still going to do some sort of pay-per-view thing on ESPN. If Lomachenko ever gets uh, Mikey Garcia or anything like that, it will happen. And you already see that Al Heyman and PBC, they've smartened up. And now they're just on Showtime and just on Fox and Fox's subsidiary networks like Fox Sports 1 and Fox Deportes and stuff. Now they've consolidated. They've looked at what these other promoters have done. and They've wised up and you know just went on these two platforms. But you know damn well they're going to do pay-per-views you already see that we've got you know Wilder Fury that's on Showtime pay-per-view so pay-per-view is still here but it's absolutely a dinosaur and this huge deal with Canelo and DAZONE is a huge huge nail in the coffin of traditional American pay-per-view what's been going on for decades now that really Bob Arum and Don King created they didn't, yeah they kind of created that model They enabled it, emboldened it, and profited hugely off of it. Others jumped on board and took it to different levels. I mean, you look, Floyd took it from, you know, a $50, $60 pay-per-view to $80, then to $100. And Canelo Golovkin jumped right on that and kept that shit going, right? That is a dinosaur, that model. And this deal between DAZN and Canelo, man, that's just another huge coffin in it, or nail in the coffin, Because I I just can't think of a deal like this of a major fighter, the biggest fighter in the sport, going off of premium cable. It'd be one thing if he went to ESPN, but to go completely off TV to an app, and for that app to put up over a third of a billion, with a B, dollars. Guys, this is big, big, big stuff. For what you get for $10 a month on the Zone, man, you can't beat it matchroom usa and uk golden boy promotions cards world boxing super series canelo joshua Usyk. there's some mma stuff on there if you're into it hell of a deal man all right let's talk about some boxers behaving badly light heavyweight prospect marcus brown uh, just can't stop beating the shit out of women so apparently he choked his baby mama and uh, was arrested. This is the third time in less than a year. So this guy obviously has issues, could use some counseling. Maybe it's anger management. Maybe it's him messing with the wrong type of women. Maybe it's a little bit of all these things. Maybe it's insecurity, anger issues, I don't know. But he obviously needs help. He needs some advising by his team and advisor. So hopefully that happens for him before it's too late and he takes it a step further And kills one of these girls and does some real jail time because of it hate to see that but I don't know what else to say about the guy right now I I mean I never thought look I never really thought the guy was gonna be a champion or anything like that but he could have been one of those gatekeeper fringe contender level guys that made for some good interesting fights in a really red-hot division that's getting loaded right now so it just sucks you know beyond all this that you got a guy beating up on women and and it's a guy who isn't a chump. He knows how to handle himself. He can beat up most men and he's putting his hands on a female. Hate to see that shit. All right, Pacquiao Broner. I talked about that a minute ago uh, or hinted toward it. So Manny Pacquiao and Adrian Broner. Well, no shit. Pacquiao has made this deal with PBC and this is an easy thing for Heyman and PBC to do to uh, cash in. And this is, you know... Look, Bronner's a character, he's a name. Pacquiao is a huge megastar still. I talked about the rating he did on ESPN a couple years back with uh, Jeff Horn. No doubt they could do an even bigger rating if they put this fight on Fox. PBC and Heyman and Sam Watson, all those guys would be smart to put this thing on Fox and not on Showtime. No word on that yet. But it will likely be in uh, January in Las Vegas, probably the 12th or the 19th. I'm hearing more of the 19th, but either way, mid-January in Vegas. And I'm telling you, to take it to Showtime, I think that would be really, really stupid. If they do this on Fox, I really think it could do 3 million plus average views. I really, really do, just because of the wacky character Broner is and the name that pacquiao still is you know broner will say something racist or something idiotic during the press tour that'll get people talking and it'll get the sjw's all up in arms and they'll promote this fight for them so i i think it could do a big numbers if they do it right look even if they put it to showtime it'll do over a million views so perfect perfect fight for pacquiao to come in he can slap on broner a little bit that'll probably go the distance But uh, both guys will make a bunch of money. Broner gets another undeserved payday. Pacquiao uh, will defend his bogus title. So also another fight. Dimitri Bivol versus Jean Pascal in Atlantic City, November 24th. And this will be on HBO. So Bivol and his team were talking to Joe Smith Jr. That was going to take place in Connecticut. Negotiations fell through. Uh, Joe Smith's going to go another way. I think they're going to fight Sean Monahan, which makes sense. But those two should have fought long ago. For Beevil, uh, look, Pascal is long past the due date. You saw what Sergei Kovalev did to him, not once but twice. A still serviceable Jean Pascal. On the surface, you expect Beevil to just completely blow through Pascal. He should. But Jean Pascal is crafty. He's been around. He is a veteran. And he's a smart fighter. So don't be surprised if this goes some rounds. I, I see it going maybe six, eight rounds. I really, really do. But I wouldn't be at all surprised if Beevil blew his ass out in three or four rounds. It really depends on how much Jean Pascal has left, how motivated he is to get in there and be in tip-top shape and ready to go walk through hell because he's going to have to for a few rounds. But if he can get into the middle rounds... Maybe you can make it interesting. Now this was potentially going to be the last HBO boxing broadcast, but then, and it's not official yet, at least not at the time I'm recording this, but they're talking about HBO is picking up a December 8th card, probably in Los Angeles, featuring Cecilia Brecus and Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez. That would make sense for HBO, both of those fighters would come cheap as hell and they do ratings. Just like Bevol and Pascal will do ratings and they're going to come cheap as hell November 24th. So uh, 360 Promotions is in the mix, negotiating that with HBO right now. Small possibility that goes to Vegas, I think it'd come down to money. I think if uh, Lawful can get some kind of Vegas uh, casino to prop up some dough, maybe they'd take that to Vegas. But and especially Chocolatito, Uh, proven commodity in Los Angeles and with the weather and everything out there at that time of year and uh, the boxing business thriving the way it is in LA. I just think that makes so much sense there at the forum or something. We'll see what happens. But that will likely be the last HBO boxing broadcast. It'll feature Chocolatito and Cecilia Brekus. Uh, One more fight possibly coming together. Jarrell Big Baby Miller versus Fres Okendo remember him yeah I don't want to remember him either but unfortunately I do remember him we all do well that is likely going to take place in mid-November in Atlantic City November 17th a week before that Bivol Pascal fight so Atlantic City beefing it up man two two uh, straight weeks of boxing as they close out a big comeback year for that city in boxing big 2018 for Atlantic City Anyway, this fight, unfortunately, is probably going to be for a piece of the WBA heavyweight title. Okendo must have pictures of Gilberto Mendoza nude blowing a goat or so. I don't know what he has on that dude, but there's been a legal tie-ups between Okendo, his team, and the WBA, it seems like for years and years and years. And the guy has gotten a lot of undeserved chances. He's been doing a lot more fighting in court over the last decade than in the ring. Never been impressed with him as a heavyweight anyway. He looks like a cruiserweight fighting at heavyweight. Obviously, this is a great deal for Eddie Hearn, Matchroom, who just signed Miller. Their ultimate plan is to bring Anthony Joshua to New York in 2019. And they need an undefeated, trash-talking, big black dude that they can whoop up on in New York, that's gonna make Anthony Joshua look great. Enter Jarrell Big Baby Miller. So keep him undefeated at this point, get him in there against Okendo, win a slice of the WBA title, even though it's paper thin, it's bullshit, but he will technically, I guess, be the mandatory for Joshua at that point anyway, so that justifies the fight. It makes perfect sense in New York, you bring AJ into that market next year, and you can be the guy to take Miller's O and likely stop him. So, I mean, that's just a perfect setup for Anthony Joshua, building him up in the American market. And uh, you build him up in New York, and then Wilder will probably be there in the front row watching after he beats Tyson Fury. Guys, I mean, this stuff just writes itself, right? I still, I, I do think Wilder beats Tyson Fury, probably even stops him, but I'm not going to make an official prediction on that fight until we get closer to it. Anyway, that's it for news and notes, man. Um, Did I leave anything out? I don't think so. I'm looking over my notes. Do you guys hear this paper? This paper is heavier than the title that Miller and Okendo are going to be fighting for. Anyway, that's it with news and notes. Let's get into the review. All right, Thursday, October 18th. Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. Golden Boy Promotions on ESPN Two. And in the main event, Jason Quigley improved to fifteen and zero with eleven knockouts with a unanimous decision over ten rounds against Freddie Hernandez. Of course, Quigley is a middleweight prospect from Ireland, Donegal, Ireland. Now based in the L.A. area. Both of these guys got cut from headbutts, and then Quigley got cut from legal punches as well. So quickly is kind of cut and bruised up in several fights right now. He's gotten injured in fights. I just don't know about this guy's level. I think that Golden Boy will uh, get him eventually lined up for a title fight. And I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't see him winning the title fight unless it's some obscene circumstance. Maybe the WBA will help out where he can fight a, a lower rated contender and get a piece of a title. Something like that. But I just, I like Quigley. He trains hard. He fights hard. It's hard not to like the guy. I just don't know if he has that extra level. I just don't know if the guy's on the A level. And that middleweight division right now is pretty damn loaded. And we're going to talk a lot about the middleweight division in this episode. So anyway, he gets a W, stays undefeated on Thursday night. Now on Saturday, there was a ton of freaking boxing all over the place on various apps. But let's start on a couple of cards uh, overseas in France, a Armenian-born French citizen who now lives and trains on the Big Bear, California, cruiserweight fighter Arson Golomirian. Arson Golomirian. I think I got that right. Improved a 24-0, 16 knockouts with a TKO 9 win over Brisbane, Australian fighter Mark Flanagan and this was for the interim WBA cruiserweight title now of course of course we all know who the undisputed I think best cruiserweight ever based on accomplishment already Alexander Usyk is he's the champion the WBA has no need to sanction for an inter- interim title and does anyone based if you saw this fight it's on YouTube If you saw Golomirian versus Flanagan, do you think either of these guys can hang with Usyk? I sure don't. I think Golomirian punches hard. He's got a good hard punch. I just think he'd be punching a lot of air if he ever fought Usyk. But anyway, now he holds a piece of the WBA title. And if Usyk should decide to stay at cruiserweight a little while longer after beating Tony Bellew, well, he's got a guy here he can beat up on. If he wants to go to france maybe he can make some money doing that over in the uk anthony yard light heavyweight prospect who i've been kind of hard on but deservingly so improves to 17 and with 16 knockouts tko4 win over an argentinian fighter who's beat absolutely nobody a guy i could probably beat in a boxing match and this card was or this fight was picked up by espn plus so those of you with the espn plus app at least you got to get a look at this prospect who looks the part, in shape, athletic, you know, does billion punch combinations on Instagram, looks every bit the part of the 21st century boxer, even has a deal with Adidas, already getting sponsorship deals, yet he hasn't beat anybody with a pulse. As hard as I've been on Jason Quigley for the soft way he's been matched, Quigley's fought much better fighters than Anthony Yard has so far. So uh, this guy, again, looks great. Looks awesome, getting sponsorship deals, probably getting a lot of ladies' attention and everything back home, but hasn't proven shit so far. So we really don't know uh, what we know he can give, but can he take? So we'll find out at some point. We'll see. All right, let's come over here to the USA where he had a bunch of action, man. Uh, we'll go to Orlando, Florida at the CFE Arena. It was World Boxing Super Series season two action on the zone. And in the main event, Puerto Rican Emmanuel Rodriguez improves to 19 0 with a split decision win over Aussie Jason Maloney, defends his IBF Bantamweight title. Now, the scores were 115, 113 twice for Rodriguez, and one judge had it 15 13 for Maloney. For my money, this was an easy eight rounds to four type of score. For Rodriguez, I thought he clearly—it was a close, competitive fight. Don't get me wrong, okay. I don't think it was that close, but it was—it was competitive. Maloney fought well, and I thought he started slow, but down the stretch, he absolutely had moments. He came on more in the mid-later rounds, but uh, for his first fight outside of Australia, I thought Maloney proved that he is no joke. And for Rodriguez who I talked about him a little bit last week. He had, I, I believe, uh, over 180 amateur fights and won all but maybe 10 or 11 of them. So a decorated Puerto Rican amateur, has fought in four different countries as a pro, won his title in the UK back in May. I think this guy's legit. I think he's very, very legit. Does not punch very hard, but very good boxing skills. He faces Naoya Inoue next. Now, way, has been uh, somewhat uh, criticized for his lack of opposition. I don't know if Rodriguez will be his best opponent, but it's possible. We don't know quite yet. We won't know until they fight. But that is a classic boxer versus puncher type of matchup. And I can't wait for that one, dude. That is going to be a very, very good fight. I think Rodriguez proved that he is an elite level bantamweight. And I think Maloney proved that he is no joke. He's a legit fighter, and he's definitely uh, going to be around. So he can improve from this, but I thought he clearly lost. I don't know what that one judge was seeing. Also in the co-main cruiserweight action, Unier Dortikos improves to 23-1 with 21 knockouts with the unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Polish fighter Matias Masternik. The scores were 116-112 and 115-113 twice. I thought those were pretty good scores. Dorticos just did the better work. This was a rebound for him coming off that brutal, brutal fight uh, where he went 12 hard rounds with Gassiev and got stopped off a counter. I believe it was a left hook. Uh, man, I, just, I I believe it was a counter left hook from Gassiev that just, just destroyed him after taking so many hard punches. And Dorticos. Somehow got up. I mean, this dude is a tough, bad mofo and really kills the stereotype, stereotype of Cuban boxers being soft and uh, not being able to take punches and being willing to engage and quitting and things like that. Tough guy. Comes back from this fight, gets in 12, or from that loss, uh, 12 good hard rounds. I talked about Musternik before, how he's lost a few, but he's always been competitive in his losses. He's never been blown out of the water. Same thing here, man. Competitive, uh, good, solid cruiserweight fight. Something I was looking at, man, that fight between Dortikos and Gassiev was in February. I know I seem to talk about this almost every week, but I just that fight seems like a year or more ago. This year has just gone, it's, it's just been a long year. I've done a lot this year. I can't believe it. when I just think of Dorticos Garcia, I feel like that was 2017. But man, that was 2018. I can't believe it. Also on this card, another cruiserweight fight, Mike Perez. Remember him? Another Cuban beats Keith Tapia. So now he is in an alternate spot. He this was basically an eliminator for the season two alternate you remember in season one we had some injuries where they had to find an alternate fighter to come in so if that happens in the cruiserweight tournament mike perez and has earned a spot if there's a fighter that's injured and cannot go perez will jump in so good win for him all right let's go up the east coast to the td garden in boston boston mass it was match room on the zone had a busy busy saturday and this was a pretty loaded card man um Some of these fights were layups, but they were entertaining and there was a lot of talent featured in these fights. Tevin Farmer, the first defense of his IBF 130-pound title. TK, or I'm sorry, just a KO5 over James Tennyson. Uh, Knockdowns, I believe, in the fourth and fifth round, so there were multiple knockdowns. Good, solid defense for Farmer. Does what he's supposed to do against an overmatched opponent um To me, you know, this wasn't a groundbreaking type of win or anything. He did what he was supposed to do against that level of opposition. So props to him for showing up and doing what he was supposed to do, but I don't see him going higher up in the ratings or anything like that anywhere. Demetrius Andrade in the main event improves to 26 and 0, claims the vacant WBO middleweight title with a unanimous decision win, basically a shutout over Namibian Walter. Cotton Daqua, who nobody had ever heard of before and nobody will ever hear of again. He did just enough to survive, took a, an ass whooping, but kept on ticking. So Andre couldn't finish this guy, but wins basically every second of every round. One judge somehow gave a round to the challenger, the Namibian, I don't know how, but two scores were 120-104. Those were the right scores, that 119-105 score. <laughs> I don't know what the hell the guy was watching. Anyway, Demetrius Andrade, where do you rate him now at middleweight? I don't know. You know, the Ring Ratings Committee, we were going back and forth all weekend. And um, somebody brought up a great point. And I'll talk about this fight in a second. But Rob Brandt, with his huge upset special win this Saturday, that probably trumps anything Andre or Charlo or Derevyanchenko have done at middleweight so far. So do, do you rate Rob Brandt number four at middleweight right now? Keep that in the back of your mind as I get into that fight in a second. But for Andrade, you know, right after this, a lot of us on the ratings committee, we're, you know, we chat back and forth over email. We're saying, man, you know, Andre is probably number four now, right behind uh, you got Canelo, you got Golovkin, you got Jacobs. And Saunders is out because he's suspended right now. That's, uh, you know, I I, I vote for uh, the fact that we should take him out. That's that's my position. So number four, Andre. But then you start considering Rob Brandt. Because who the hell is Andre beat? He's got a title, but who's he beat for the title? So more about that in a second. Let's keep that in the back of your mind. Also on this card, Qatar born featherweight prospect kid galahad improves to 25 and 0 with 15 knockouts uh, gets a unanimous decision win over toka khan clary the scorecards were 115 113 uh, that scorecard was too close the other two scores were 118 110 twice and those were the right scores i thought he clearly won that fight female action katie taylor improves to 11 and 0 with five knockouts unanimous decision win over cindy serrano Only 10 rounds, even though this was a title fight because for some reason the people in boxing feel women need to be treated differently. Hey, I'm all about the hashtag me too. Let's treat the ladies the same as we treat the fellas. How about 12-round fights for championship fights? How about three-minute rounds for all fights? But be that as it may, Katie Taylor over 10 rounds completely shuts out Cindy Serrano defends her unified lightweight titles is Katie Taylor the best female fighter in the world she very well might be some people say it's Clarissa Shields some people say that it's Cecilia Breakus, but it's really between those three I think Breakus clearly has been around the longest and accomplished the most so by default you pretty much say she's number one pound for pound female fighters but you can make the argument that uh, Clarissa Shields is right there, two-time Olympic gold medalist. She's now won multiple titles. But then you could also say Katie Taylor has likely faced better opposition than Clarissa Shields, and she's unified titles. So, and then, of course, she had a Olympics a Olympic gold too. So, um, I don't know, but it's between those three. It's between those three. I do know this, female boxing is alive and well, and it's... Uh, Maybe healthier than it's ever been right now on a global scale. You know, you talk about Clarissa Shields, whose headline car is on Showtime. The last HBO boxing broadcast will likely show Cecilia Breckhus in the main event. Think about that. So, also on this card, Scott Quigg rebounded from the Oscar Valdez loss in March. That's another one, man. That, that fight was this March? The monsoon? between Quig and Valdez, the Monsoon at StubHub Center. That was this March? That was basically, what, uh, six, seven months ago? I just, man, that just seems like ancient history. But uh, Quig rebounds from that with a TKO2 win. Okay, let's go over to the West Coast, Las Vegas, Park Theater. Top rank in promotions on ESPN+. Plus. So all this action Saturday, From all over the place, and it's on apps. Holy shit, it's like it's the 21st century or something. In the main event, Upset Special. I need like a little clown horn or something. I need like an Upset Special sound effect. Rob Brandt, the Minnesota fighter who now trains out of Dallas. I've talked about the Dallas slash Houston area growing. There are some good fighters in a couple of real good gyms down there doing some good work. And it was a smart move for Brandt to go down there and start working down there because holy shit has this kid improved. He looks a lot better than he looked several years ago when I thought he would look, he was more suspect than prospect a few years ago. But damn, this is like a different fighter or something. He gets the W. He's now 24-1, and 1, 16 knockouts. Unanimous decision win over Japanese fighter Ryota Murata. Wins the, his version of the WBA middleweight title. Now, obviously, Canelo Alvarez is the middleweight champion of the world. We know this. WBA does what the WBA does. But let's talk about Murata. A lot of people think Murata is shit. Guys, he's not shit. This is someone who won a gold medal in 2012. This is somebody who should have been undefeated. Beat Hassam and, and, um, Ndamukong twice, was robbed the first time, left no doubt in the rematch. That win over Indom is better than any win Andrade or Charlo have at middleweight right now. Derevyanchenko too. So uh, Murata was a top five middleweight. Love it or hate it, just based on accomplishment. Top five middleweight coming into this fight. Even if you don't rate based on accomplishment and you rate based on the Potential, you know, what potential a guy has that if you rate on that scale, it was a top 10 middleweight. Nobody thought brant was well, I won't say nobody, but big betting favorite was Murata. And Brandt came in there and stole the show, man 118, 110, 119, 109 twice. And those were good scorecards. Maybe, maybe you could have had it a little closer 117, 111, something like that. But Brent clearly won this fight. And now, look, he has one loss. That was at super middleweight on the road last October against the top 10 super middleweight. A guy actually, uh, he, fought, he fought Braumer. It was coming down, I believe, from light heavyweight. So a much bigger guy on foreign soil. And that loss taught him something. And I'm just telling you, based on just what I saw Saturday night versus what I saw from him in that loss, This was a much better fighter. And honestly, Murata had him stunned a few times, but he weathered it. He stunned Murata a few times. This all just came down to activity and punches, man. Brandt landed 356 punches. He threw over 1,200 punches. So he averaged over 100 punches a round. Ladies and gentlemen, that is how you leave no doubt in a fight like this, where you know you are not the favored guy to win. You know there's business on the table. Murata was, had been in negotiations with uh, Tom Lawler, Team Golovkin, and they, guys, you, you know, if you listen to this channel, you read some of the stuff I've written, I talked about this. I even talked about this, my last piece, uh, previewing the uh, Canelo-Golovkin rematch. It was titled It's Complicated in Boxing Monthly over the summer. I mentioned the fact that the potential for a Golovkin fight against Murata at the Tokyo Dome in Tokyo, you're talking tens of thousands, what, 50,000 people there to see that. Another eight-figure payday. There was big business on the table. And Brant said, you know what? I don't give a shit what your plan is, what your program is. I'm just going to keep punching. I'm going to throw over 100 punches around and F up the party that you guys have planned. And that's exactly what he did. It's stuff like this. that it, It's just the reason why I love boxing. With all the bullshit politics, you know, all the decisions, all the A side getting this over the B side, yada, yada, yada. For every one of those situations, you get a situation like this. Where Rob Brandt, somebody that had kind of been written off a while ago as more suspect than prospect, his life has changed. Maybe now he's in the running for a big, big fight. Because you look at Murata, who's promoted by top rank. Bob Arum had already talked about doing a fight with uh, Murata and Golovkin. So... Brandt isn't promoted by top rank. He isn't exclusive to any one app or network. He can go wherever the hell he wants. Maybe they talk to Golovkin. Maybe they can do that fight in America. But man, maybe maybe he goes for Canelo. He's got a piece of that WBA title, so guess what? At some point, he's going to be Canelo's mandatory. Canelo's the money man, and that's going to be on zone. He can go fight on zone. There's no issue with that. Promotional-wise, you know, wise, there's no issue. So this dude's got options now. And if he, gets, if he secures a fight with Canelo, or even if somehow they negotiate something with Triple G, you're talking a multi-million dollar payday, depending. Especially if it's Canelo, you could probably get at least a couple million. This kid's life has changed. That's why I love boxing. And for Murata, who's a star in Japan, And does have credentials. I talked about the gold medal and everything else. Uh, He does big, big numbers over there. Top Rank ain't leaving town anytime soon. He's going to be back. So we'll see what happens. I don't know, man. Murata's coming off a loss. Golovkin's coming off a loss. Maybe that fight still happens. Maybe the title don't mean shit and that fight still happens. We shall see. So um, you kind of got a feel for Golovkin. It just seems like the guy can't catch a break. Because... This was going to be, you know, remember, the backup plan was going to be Billy Joe Saunders. They had a deal with him if uh, Golden Boy Promotions didn't meet that financial figure team Triple G wanted uh, for the Canelo rematch. And then look at where Saunders is now. He doesn't have his title. He lost it because of performance enhancing drugs issues. And then another backup plan was Ryota Murata. Now he just lost his title. So Golovkin's standing there with his dick in his hand, you know, Canelo just went to the zone. Man, it just seems like Team Triple G cannot catch a break. I don't know where they go from here. I don't know what the hell they do. But for Brandt, who coming into this fight had beat nobody of note, really nobody of note, and fought mostly in Minnesota, small venues in Minnesota, not exactly a boxing hotbed, had never fought in Las Vegas. But he packed up, he moved to Dallas, where there's a good scene there, training with the right people, getting better sparring, traveled overseas, took a risk last year in the World Boxing Super Series, took an L, but guess what? So what? He's got a title right now. Good for him. All right, also on this card, 140-pound prospect out of St. Petersburg, Russia, now lives and trains in Oxnard, California, one of the Egas Clemas guys who works out of that gym there, Maxim Dadashev. Unanimous decision win over Mexican veteran Antonio DeMarco. That is a good win for Dadashev over a very uh, proven veteran in DeMarco who's been in there with a lot of good fighters. So good quality win for him at this point in his career. Some other prospects. Brazilian middleweight Esquiva Falcao improves to 22-0 with 15 knockouts. He scored a unanimous decision win in a 10-rounder. And Irish featherweight Michael Conlin improved to 9-0 and with six knockouts with a TKO 7 win. So everybody uh, keeps their O's and keeps on rolling all those prospects on that card. All right, guys, so that was it last week. Let's preview what we got coming up this week. This Saturday, October 27th, is a loaded day of boxing over in we've got fights in bulgaria we've got fights in london here in the states in new orleans in new york and over in the philippines we got a card on monday all over the place so we've got uh, some stuff on the apps and we got some stuff on the tv let's start this saturday over in london a matchroom card in the copper box arena of course this will be on the zone Prospects on this card, there's guys like uh, 154-pounder Ted Cheeseman, the Cheeseman. He's fighting, there's some Commonwealth fights, you know, that level type of fights. But also on this card, John Ryder, who is 26-4 with 14 knockouts, out of London, 30 years old, a southpaw. Going up against Russian Andre Sirotkin, who's 15-0, four knockouts, 33 years old, so an older prospect. He's also a southpaw for the WBA uh this is a super middleweight eliminator so Callum Smith is the current WBA super middleweight titleist Rocky Fielding is the current WBA regular super middleweight titleist that will soon be Canelo Alvarez Canelo Alvarez is going to flatten Fielding and then vacate that title and move back down to featherweight so that the regular title will become vacant I don't know what the hell is going to happen with that but you got to figure the winner between Ryder and Sirotkin will likely get a crack at Callum Smith in 2019. So that's an important fight. Now over in Sofia, Bulgaria, in the Arena Armeek, uh, Channel Five in the UK and ESPN Plus in the USA. Man, these apps, DAZN and ESPN Plus. Holy shit, are you getting a lot of fights? So over in Bulgaria, Kubrat Pulev against Huey Fury for the IBF heavyweight title Eliminator. Now Pulev is 25-1 with 13 knockouts. His only loss was a KO-5 loss to the all-time great Vladimir Klitschko in 2014. A still very serviceable, a little faded past his prime, but still very serviceable Vladimir Klitschko. Hasn't fought since last April when he beat Kevin Johnson, an ancient Kevin Johnson. So Pulev has not been that active. For Fury, his only loss was a majority decision loss to Joseph Parker last September. Now that was a fight I felt he clearly lost. It should have been a unanimous decision. I don't know what that one judge was thinking. So both of these guys only have one loss. But Fury is 13 years younger, taller, longer and he's been more active so on paper you would think that fury should win this fight however it is in bulgaria if pulev is in shape hasn't been active but maybe he's been resting and you know uh, preserving himself he's getting up there in age i don't know who to favor here i really really don't but ah man if i you put a gun to my head I'm going to take Pulev by decision. That's what I'm going to take. I don't know if it'll be controversial or not, but that's going to be my official prediction there. Pulev by decision. Now, also on this card, Pulev, uh, Kubrat's brother, Tervel Pulev, who's a cruiserweight, was a 2012 Olympian for Bulgaria facing Italian an, an Italian-Argentinian fighter. Uh, he should win that fight big. So, you get that if you have ESPN Plus, some heavyweight action. That could be fun, man. Here in the USA, let's go to the Lakefront Arena in New Orleans, Louisiana, World Boxing Super Series Season 2 on the zone. In the main event, Regis Progre, who is out of New Orleans but now trains out of Houston, which is smart, it's making him better. 22 0, 19 knockouts, a 29 year old Southpaw. Going up against Terry Flanagan from the UK, 33-1, only 13 knockouts for Flanagan. This is for a defense of the interim WBC 140-pound title. The winner of this fight faces Kirill Relic, who won his fight in the uh, opening round of the World Boxing Super Series. So, winner of this fight gets Relic next. Now, this is the same arena from the July card that was on ESPN Reprograde file, where I was ringside. I wanted to make it down there to see this fight in this card because I do think it's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, I just got too much stuff going on with the new house. I got some, I'm doing a ton of demolition stuff. But we're starting to to knock down some walls and do some engineering, rebuilding, and blah, blah, blah. So I got to be here. Can't go down for this. I'm kind of bummed about that. But I'll be watching on the Zone, of course. Um, for Flanagan, this is the first time he's ever fought outside the UK, I do believe. So he is more experienced. He's coming off a split decision loss to Maurice Hooker in June, but he's fought the better overall fighters so far. He just doesn't seem to have the power. And I really think for Progre, to lose, it's going to take a fighter that has either substantial skill and athleticism, which might be Josh Taylor, right? Someone like that to beat him or somebody with power to change a fight. And Flanagan just doesn't have that. So I do think Flanagan's going to have moments. I do think his experience will come through, but I like Prograde to win this fight and I like him to stop Terry Flanagan in this fight. That's what I see happening. Now, in a co also 140-pound division, Ivan Bronchek, who's 18-0 with 11 knockouts, who is uh, Russian-born, but now lives in Miami. No, not Miami, Florida, but Miami, Oklahoma. 25 years old, going up against Anthony Yidget, a Swedish fighter who's 21-0-1, only seven knockouts. So once again here, Yigit, who is actually of Turkish descent, but from Sweden, 2012 Olympian. He's fought in several countries. He's experienced. He's schooled. He knows what he's doing in a boxing ring, but he just doesn't have that power. And this is also his first fight in the USA. Brancic has legit power. He's not a huge crushing puncher, but he has the type of power that I think can keep Yidget off of him. Alec like Brancheck winning this fight. And he will win the vacant IBF 140-pound title in this fight. Okay, let's go to New York. Madison Square Garden Theater. Matchroom and Lou DiBello working together on this card. And this will be on HBO. And again, if you guys want me to do a live video and call the action, let me know because the HBO crew Sucks. They just suck. In the main event, Daniel Jacobs going up against Sergey Derevyanchenko for the vacant IBF middleweight title that Gennady Golovkin vacated earlier this summer. Jacobs, 34-2, 29 knockouts, 31 years old, 5'11", 73-inch reach. Derevyanchenko, 12-0, 10 knockouts, 32 years old, 5'9", 67-inch reach. So, when I look at the tail of the tape, I don't really give a shit about the number of professional fights because Derreyanchenko had a long amateur career, the World Series of boxing, which, you know, those fights basically were pro fights. If you include those fights in his record, he's not as inexperienced as it would appear to a casual fan or something. He's got plenty of experience. What sticks out to me, major height difference and major reach difference. Jacobs is going to use that reach advantage to his advantage in this fight. And I just, I don't know if Derevyanchenko can get inside of him. If I'm Derevyanchenko, I'm working my way in. I'm being weary of Jacobs right hand as I'm working my way in. I know I'm going to eat jabs. I'm going to have to work around that jab to get in. I'm moving my head and I'm beating the hell out of Jacobs body. And I'm understanding that I'm probably going to lose the first half of the fight doing that. But I'm banking on the fact that in the later rounds, Jacobs will slow down with his movement, won't be able to back up and move and run and spin and pivot as much or as quickly. And those hands will drop. And if I'm Derevianchenko and my short little Tyrannosaurus Rex arms, I'm looping shots upstairs later in the fight. I'm fainting downstairs and I'm looping shots over the top and I'm trying to catch Jacobs on the temple, the side of the head, both with the left hand and the right hand. I'm not just looping left, I'm looping the right too. And I think that that should be the game plan for Derevyanchenko. If you're Jacobs, boxing 101. Don't worry about looking beautiful and impressive and all that. Fight him like he fought Suleki, who doesn't hit as hard as Derevyanchenko, not nearly as hard but is a skilled, very athletic fighter. Selecki might be more athletic than Derevyanchenko, actually. But, um, well, Selecki's taller too, but use your height if you're Jacobs. Use your reach. Just stay behind the jab. Just spin this dude. Anytime he gets close to you and you're on the ropes, just tie him up. That's really all you got to do. Both of these guys are repping Brooklyn. Jacobs, of course, is from Brooklyn. Sergei, of course, is from Ukraine, but lives there now. So this is definitely a Brooklyn type of fight. Uh, I'm not quite sure why it's at the Garden, but HBO really doesn't do Barclays fights. Those are more for Showtime and PBC. But on the surface, I would think that this would be a uh, you know a Barclays fight because these guys are both Brooklyn guys. Either way, Brooklyn. It's not that far to get into the damn city from Brooklyn. So whatever. Uh, the only p- opponent Drevianchenko has faced with a similar body style to Jacobs is Toriano Johnson. Now, of course, Jacobs' is level's better than Johnson. But when you look at the tail of the tape, they're a similar body style. And he scored a TKO 12 win last August. That was really the only opponent of note that as a professional Derevyanchenko has beat. World Series of Boxing, amateurs, he's beat some names. But I'm just talking in his 12 pro fights, technically. Uh, Johnson, the only guy. Similar body to Jacobs. Doesn't really fight like him, though. But at least he can go back to that experience. For Jacobs, I can't think of a short, compact, technical type of fighter that Jacobs has fought. So, you know, th- it's gonna be a little new to him, but Jacobs um, has saw a ton of styles in the amateurs. So uh, he should know what to do in there. And like I said, if Jacobs fights smart, uses his length, ties up when he needs to, I see him winning this fight by decision. Also on this card, Puerto Rican feather, uh, no, 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 not featherweight, 130 pounds, super featherweight. Puerto Rican super featherweight, Alberto Machado, 20-0, 16 knockouts, uh, 28 years old, southpaw, going up against a Cleveland fighter, Juan Dale Evans, second defense of Machado's WBA 130 pound title that he won off of Jazriel Corrales last October. He knocked him out in eight rounds. Evans, if you haven't heard of him, is a former Golden Gloves champ. He's no joke. He's schooled. But you got to favor Machado pretty big in this matchup. Also, another female fight. HBO, Social Justice Warrior, Premium Cable Network. Uh, really getting heavy into the female boxing thing. Uh, maybe it's a little, little too little too late. But they're featuring Heather Hardy, who Lou Debella has been trying to get on their air for a long time. Uh, and she's a Brooklynite, too. 36 years old, 21-0, going up against Shelly Vincent for the vacant WBO featherweight title. Now, these two fought back in 2016, and Hardy won a majority decision. That was Vincent's only loss. So, uh, Vincent, I guess, is a good quality opponent, and this should be a fun rematch. Again, I'm just looking at Revianchenko, Jacobs, and Hardy are all Brooklyn people. Yeah, why isn't this at Barclays? Anyway, okay, that's it for Saturday. But there's also a card Monday, October 29th, at the Midas Hotel and Casino in Pasay City, which I believe is in the Manila area. I think it's in the Manila region. Correct me if I'm wrong, any of my Filipino listeners. But this is over in the Philippines, and it's MP Promotions. It'll be on TV5 in the Philippines and ESPN Plus in the USA. In the main event... A fighter out of General Santos City, which is where Pacquiao is from. Randy Pelicoran, 29-2 and one draw with 22 knockouts. 5'3 Southpaw, 26 years old, going up against Nicaraguan Felix Alvarado, who's 33-2, 29 knockouts, 29 years old. They are fighting for the vacant IBF junior flyweight title. Even though Pelicoran has not fought at that weight, since 2016. he's been heavier i think he's been as big as super flyweight so i don't know how he got sanctioned to fight for a vacant title at 108 pounds when he hasn't fought at that weight in over two years alvarado has fought for titles twice he uh, fought for one in 2013 in japan 2014 in argentina lost both times by decision he will lose this time by decision But the it's in the Philippines. It's MP Promotions. He will win this title. Also on this card, in the co Lee Haskins going up against Kenny Demolcio. Haskins is 35-4, and four, 35 years old. Demolcio is 14-4-2, four 26 years old. This is an IBF bantamweight eliminator. So that's it, guys. That is all the action. Loaded one-hour episode of TNC. Let me know what you guys think about me calling the action this Saturday night. Because you know what? Until these fools want to hire me and they want to keep hiring celebrities and shit, I'm just going to, I think, I just have an idea. Why why don't I just start calling these fights and we just watch them live together on YouTube? To me, that will be better than listening to some of these guys because I can't stand them. Let me know what you guys think, all right? See you at the fights episode <clears throat> episode 144 in the books i'm losing my voice i'm going to go drink some water <laughs>